Welcome to the online Bible study. This week we are studying Esther chapter 5. Now you'll notice that in chapters 5 through 7 mark the climax of the book of Esther. Here the tables are turned and evil is overcome by good. God's people are preserved through an unlikely set of circumstances. It is obvious that it is the sovereignty of God working to save the Jewish people from annihilation here. Now last week we ended with Esther asking Mordecai to gather the Jews of Shushan as she would gather her maidservants to fast and pray for three days and three nights. They would be asking God's wisdom for God's guidance and his protection as she prepared for this dangerous mission. Now this week, as we study chapter 5, we see Esther, after fasting and praying, courageously being used by God as she begins to put her plan into motion. So let's turn to Esther, chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace across from the king's house while the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house facing the entrance of the house. Can you imagine at this point how Esther is is feeling? She is preparing to go before King Ahasuerus. Now you remember that she has not seen the king for 30 days and she is about to break Persian law. She has just spent three days and three nights fasting and praying for God's help. So you know that she was crying out to the Lord as the psalmist did in Psalms 27:11, where it says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. She was asking the Lord to protect her. As Psalms 33:20 says, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. And then, as she prepares to approach King Ahasuerus, she is comforted. As Isaiah 41:10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Now Esther knew that God had covenanted with the Jews to deal with their enemies. As we read in Genesis 12, 1-3, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of our country, from your family and from your father's house. To a land that I will show you, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So with the God of Israel at her side, she prepares to go before the king she puts on her royal robes. It was not only natural, but on such occasion, 
highly proper that the queen should decorate herself in style of becoming her exalted position. She was the queen of Persia. Remember, she had not seen the king in 30 days, so she wanted to gain his approval so that he would hear her request and she would be presenting herself fully robed in her royal garments. How many times in life do we rush into situations just to find out that if we had just waited and prepared our hearts, things might have worked out differently? We can learn from Esther here. She didn't rush in and demand the king to reverse the decree. Instead, she sought direction from the Lord. But not only did she seek God's direction, but she also had those closest around her praying also. It helps to know in those times of crisis that there are a lot of prayers going up for you, isn't it? So here we have Queen Esther now standing fully dressed in her royal garment in the inner court waiting for King Ahasuerus to extend the golden scepter to her. Isn't it a wonderful thing that we don't have to fear coming to the King of Kings that he accepts us as we are. All we have to do is call upon his name and he is there. Let's look at verse 2. It says, So it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. Wow, what an answer to prayer. Esther finds favor in the king and he extends the golden scepter. You can clearly see the providence of God working here. I am reminded of the verse in Proverbs 21 verse 1 where it says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. This is so true here that God is definitely in control. The king didn't even stand a chance. God was working in his heart to make sure that he showed favor to Esther. So Esther, in the unusual custom, responds back, expressing reverence and submission. She touches the top of the scepter. King Ahasuerus knew that if Queen Esther broke one of the major laws of Persia by approaching him without having been summoned, she must have a matter of urgency that needed his attention. So we see in verse 3, after extending the golden scepter, he now asks her, What do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? Then notice, he says, It shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. Now you would think at this point 
by reading this that Queen Esther would feel very confident and state exactly what it was that she had petitioned. That sounds pretty generous, doesn't it? With the king saying, I will give you what you want up to half the kingdom. But Esther knows better. You cannot take this offer literally. It was apparently an oriental custom for kings of that day to show their pleasure in someone by making the statement, which simply meant that the person would be granted what they requested if the request was within reason. And it was up to the king to decide whether it was up to within reason. So Esther still had to use discretion and follow through accordingly. Warren Wearsby shows us four possible reasons why Queen Esther didn't tell the king immediately. First, it wasn't the right time. Timing is everything. It was not something you just blurt out that your right-hand man has decreed to kill you. Second, it wasn't the right place. It would be a breach of palace etiquette for the queen to make her plea publicly. And third, Esther wanted Haman and only Haman present when she told the king about his prime minister's evil plot. She needed to confront the king and Haman alone, without anyone else present. By Esther's standing alone with them, the king was far more likely to accept her charge against the prime minister for plotting evil against her and her people. And then fourth, one more event had to take place. This would happen that very night, which we will study next week in chapter 6, so I don't want to go on any further. Regardless of many reasons we could come up with as to why Esther didn't tell the king immediately, Esther obviously sensed the leadership of the Lord. It was definitely not God's timing yet. So, let's look at Esther's response to the king in verses 4 through 5. It says, So Esther answered, If it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to a banquet that I have prepared for him. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, that he may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. Ladies, not only did the king accept Esther's invitation, but he immediately ordered Haman to be summoned. Persian officials were protective of their wives. So for the king to accept the invitation of Queen Esther to have Haman join them in their banquet was definitely the providence of God working in the heart of the king. Oh, what a special honor for Haman to attend a special banquet for the king and queen alone in the queen's private apartment at that. Oh, you can just see the ego being stroked of Haman. Now, at some point 
During this banquet, the king asks Esther again what her petition was. Let's look at verse 6. At the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther, What is your petition? It shall be granted you. What is your request? Up to half the kingdom. It shall be done. Now, (laughs) just picture Haman here. Haman's head must be really getting big at this point. Here he is at a personal banquet with the king and queen. And now they are discussing a personal manner right in front of him. (laughs) Little does he know what is really actually happening here. Verses 7 through 8, we see Esther's suspense-filled request. It reads, Then Esther answered and said, My petition and request is this, If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come to the banquet which I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Here, Queen Esther is delaying her petition again. We see the Lord at work because it is that very night that an event will happen which leads to Mordecai being honored. And this is what we'll be studying next week in chapter 6. Proverbs 19.21 says, There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel that will stand. The plans that Haman has made will soon be thwarted. But for now, Haman is feeling like he is on cloud nine. Verse nine says, He left the banquet joyful and with a glad heart. But notice how quickly his mood changes. The last part of verse 9 reveals why. It says, But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and that he did not stand or tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Here, is Haman feeling highly honored to have been invited to a private banquet with the king and queen, and then he walks out to go home, and there is Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. Oh, a raging fury just arises in Haman's heart as Mordecai refuses to stand in reverence to him. And on top of that, he wasn't even trembling in his presence over the decree. But somehow, through it all, Haman manages to restrain himself from saying anything to Mordecai. After reaching his house, verses 10 through 12 tells us how Haman summoned his friends to a social gathering so that he could share the day's joyful events with them. In his sharing, Scripture exposes the shameful death of his prideful, arrogant heart. Sitting with his wife and friends and looking forward to the second banquet the next evening, Haman began to focus attention solely on himself.
Let's read the verses. It says, starting verse 10, Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and called for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. Then Haman told them of his great riches, the multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and servants of the king. Moreover, Haman said, Besides, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she prepared, and tomorrow I am again invited by her along with the king. You ever notice somebody like this? Ugh! They just talk about themselves all the time, just full of pride. But notice here how he boasts about his vast wealth, about his ten sons, about the honors the king had bestowed upon him, about his promotion to be prime minister, the position, the authority, and the power the king had granted him about the distinctive recognition and honor given him by the queen, clearly seen in her invitation to join her and the king at the two banquets. He is so full of himself, his ego growing every moment. But despite his position, his wealth and power, Haman could not get past his hatred for Mordecai. Let's look at verse 13. It says, Yet all this avails me nothing, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Well, seeing how this affected Haman, his wife and friends give him some advice. Let's look at verse 14. Then his wife Zareth and all his friends said to him, let a gallows be made fifty cubits high, and in the morning suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it. Then go merrily to the king to the gallows banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. Haman's wife and friends were no better than himself. They were just as wicked, feeling so confident that Haman had a direct line to the king, that he would do anything that he wanted, they set out to kill Mordecai once and for all. But not only did they want to kill him, but they wanted to make him an example for all the Jews to make sure that they show Haman respect and fear what he may do to them. This would be an example of what was to come. So Haman was pleased by the advice and ordered the 50 cubic high gallows to be made. That is 75 feet high. And in those days, it was known in the Persian um, era that they used an impaling uh, stick. And so he was probably impaled on the stick instead of the traditional gallows. Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. 
Ladies, this is where this chapter ends. We are at the suspenseful end here and we will need to wait till next week before we find out what happens further with this gallow. But we can learn a great lesson here. A person should not praise himself about what he will do the next day because he really has no way of knowing for sure what will happen, does he? We are not guaranteed a tomorrow. Praising oneself is evidence of pride and therefore it is wrong. Not only should a person refrain from boasting about what he will do, he should also refrain from boasting about what he has done. Ladies, what we have done should all go to the glory of God, not to ourselves. Our gifts, our talents, everything that we can do is because of God. God lives through our lives. He orchestrates our lives. Behind the scenes, He is working things out right now for your good. Next week, we are going to be starting chapter 6. And we are going to learn another part of this step of this suspenseful story of Queen Esther and Mordecai and Haman and the king. So I look forward to doing next week's study with you. And until then, God bless.